Welcome to episode one of our chapel podcast series, Faith That Works. This week's topic is from James chapter one, verses one to 12, brought to you by Trinity College, Queensland, presented by Dr. Paul Jones. Every semester here we have a different sermon series. Uh, We look at a different portion of God's word together. And this semester we're looking at James, uh, the title being Faith That Works. You like that little double entendre? So on one hand we're looking at faith that works because James is going to remind us again and again that real faith, true faith, genuine Christian faith is always accompanied by works. Thank you, Nigel. Yes, he's awake by works. And on the other hand, the other side of it is that this is faith that makes sense of life. It's faith that works. And I think that's in some ways what a lot of us are doing here at the college. We are studying theology in order to make sense of life. So let me ask you this. How's your faith working for you at the moment? How's your faith working for you? Are you finding that God is making life smooth and comfortable? Is God answering every prayer with a resounding yes and giving you more as well? Is everything working in your favour because of your faith? I hear a few chuckles uh, and I understand that. I didn't think so. But what does it mean then for our faith to work for us? Some of you are already thinking, I can see it. Isn't that the wrong question? And you're right. That's not the right question to be asking. But it is a common assumption, isn't it? That our faith should be working for us. I know when I talk to people outside the church, there's very often this question that comes, Paul, what's your faith do for you? Right? What's the point? Is it worthwhile? All the effort you put into thinking and praying and and being Christian, how's your faith working for you? Now, we might say that we encounter that outside the church, but let's be honest. Sometimes we read the Bible a little bit that way ourselves, don't we? Our guiding principle, as we search through a psalm or a a bit of scripture in the morning, might be, what's here that's going to work for me? Where's that promise that I can grab onto, that I can take hold of for my life? And there are a number of scripture uh, promises that we know quite well, because We've latched onto them. We've memorized them. I've done that myself. Promises that we claim and pray and hope in. I know the plans for you. That my plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29.11. Who's memorized that one? Come on. Don't be embarrassed about memorizing scripture here. I know I'm putting a different spin on it. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave or forsake you. Wonderful promise. But there is a danger, isn't there, in grabbing promises out of Scripture and applying them to our lives willy-nilly. The danger is that we're reaching into the middle and grabbing the good stuff. It's like squeezing the jam out of a donut and just having the jam. Or it's like seeing a paddle over on a table and just grabbing all the strawberries off the top. As you may know already, and as you will learn here at Trinity, it's not always the most responsible thing to do, to grab things out of their literary contexts. And besides, 
and you can write this down, context determines meaning. Context determines meaning in lots of ways. So get some meringue and some whipped cream alongside those strawberries and see how that tastes. Some of you look more excited than others. <laughs> let's, go to the, let's go to the donut. Make sure you get a bite of that warm sugar-coated donut with the jam and see how that tastes. But you're wondering where I'm going. Let's get back to the text. There's a promise in the middle of today's text from James that we probably know quite well. The promise in verse 5 is this. If any of you is lacking wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. That's a pretty good promise. That's worth memorizing. What's the context? Well, the broader theme of this passage is... Anyone? Don't be shy. What's the broader theme of the context? As you listen so carefully to it being read just a moment ago. Sorry? Endurance. Endurance? Good. Endurance was in there. What else? Standing firm. Standing firm. Excellent. The new students are leading the way. Good on you. <laughs> Generally speaking, the context is discomfort. It's difficulty. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask God for wisdom, right? Of course, there are other parts of uh, Scripture that would suggest we should always be asking for wisdom. Seek wisdom above all else is what the Proverbs tell us to do. But what I am saying is that we're reading James 1 at the moment, and the question is, therefore, what is James saying in this passage? Not in one verse of it that we would like to gravitate towards, but in these 12 verses. Is he suggesting that God's gift of wisdom is like a petrol station? Pull in. Fill her up. Fill her up, Lord. I need wisdom. I'm about to go into a meeting that I'm unprepared for. I'm about to sit an exam that I'm unprepared for. I'm about to write an essay that I didn't really do much reading for. Sorry, that sounds like I'm, I'm really having a go at you. That could apply to anyone out there. <laughs> Fill her up. Can I have some more wisdom? Is James saying that divine wisdom is like a new operating system that we just need to download, plug in, update ourselves? That sounds good, doesn't it? But not really. We've got ourselves a hermeneutical sandwich here. And we can't just grab that filling out of the middle, that promise. Because the promise of wisdom comes surrounded by temptations and trials. It comes to us sandwiched in endurance and humility, and yes, James says it a second time, temptation. God will give you the wisdom that you're asking for, but you must understand that it doesn't come easy or cheap. Wisdom comes with context. Some of you will know this from life experience. Others will know that the Bible points in this direction all the way through. Wisdom comes with context. Have you ever wondered why James cautions us so strongly against asking without faith? He says, don't have any doubts. If you have any doubts, you won't get what you're asking for. I'll read it to you again in verse 6. So ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
for the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Sounds a bit harsh. But what James is getting at is, if you're going to ask for wisdom, you're going to have to have a lot of faith. You're going to have to trust, because you will be tested. Why will you be tested? Because there's no other way to become wise. So when we look at the whole passage, what we do get is a pretty solid recipe for wisdom after all. But it's not pull over and stick the pump in and fill it up. If there is a, a formula, it would be difficult experiences plus a response of faith equals increased wisdom. Difficult experiences plus a response of faith leads to an increase in wisdom. And now, we can go back to James's strange comments that he opens this book with, and we can understand them a little better. Verses 2 and 3, he says, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. It sounded at first like that sheep, you know, you know when you're going through a difficult time, and someone says, there's light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> And you want to you want to slap them in the hope that they'll turn the other cheek. So you have another shot at it. But really, this sounds like that sort of hey, you'll get there in the end. That cheap sort of comfort. But he says, consider it nothing but joy. Why? Because, and this is still reading verse three now. You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. This is the kind of counsel you offer when you know from experience that trials shape you. The kind of advice that can only be given by someone who's walked through the valley of the shadow of death, holding the shepherd's hand in faith. Because more than anything else in life, trials will shape you as a person. Think of it this way. If you wanted to expand and stretch your brain, what would you do? You'd go to school, you'd go to university, you'd come to Trinity, you'd read a book. If you want to stretch and expand your muscles physically, you grab some weights, you go for a run, you go to the gym. If you want to expand or stretch your emotional capacity, you work on identifying your emotions. Some of you have heard me say before, Brene Brown says that there are three emotions that most of us can recognize. Happy, sad, and pissed off. Excuse me. Angry. That was her, those are her words. And she says that's emotional. Um, what's the word? Illiteracy. She says we should. Now, she's a sociologist. And she says we should be able to identify about 30 different emotional states. And this is a challenge for us as parents to try and help our kids. What are you feeling right now? and to help them with that. But if you want to stretch and expand that emotional capacity, you've got to work on identifying your emotions and then talking to someone about them. Right? So let's apply this. What do you do when you want to increase your faith in God? Because who here would like to increase their faith in God? That's half the college. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Is there a school? Is there a college for growing faith? Not really. 
not even not even Trinity. I'd love to say that we are a place to grow your faith, but really, what you need to grow your faith is to stretch it. And the only way to stretch your faith is to have it pushed to its limit. And the only way to do that is through trials, through situations that stretch, that push your faith. You can study theology all your life in a very comfortable setting. You can minister in a comfortable setting if you choose to. But you won't be stretching and growing your faith. Hard times are the only way to stretch your faith muscles. And unless your capacity for faith is stretched, James is saying we remain immature. We remain incomplete. It's a hard word to hear, isn't it? On day one of college. He says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may become mature. Now, for those of you who are studying a little bit of Greek, I wonder, have you come across the word telos yet? Or teleos. The word for mature is teleos. And as some of you will know, the Greek word telos means... Now, John, you're not allowed to answer. Someone else in the room. Come on. Libby, I'm looking at you. Teleological? Is it to see? Not quite. Telos means end. End or goal. Is that... Amen. Amen. I, amen. I've got an amen, amen. from the Greek literature. What, what, what James is getting at here is that the testing of your faith, this is exciting, guys, it leads you to become who you were created to be. It leads you to God's goal, God's end game for you when your faith grows. Now, that's wonderful, and I know you're, you're sitting there thinking, Paul, you're putting a positive spin on this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure James is talking about stuff that's uncomfortable, that's difficult, that's negative, and you're making it all sound wonderful. And you're right. That's true. Well, let me, let me give you an example from my own life. I've, I've been a Christian since I was about eight. I think I was about eight when I made that commitment as a missionary kid in a, in a school in Nigeria to follow Jesus and to commit my life to Jesus. So you could say that over the last however many years, I've had lots of Christian, positive Christian experiences. I had some people prophesy over me when I was a teenager, and those words continue to be meaningful for me. I sat in an auditorium with 20,000 Christians in it worshipping, and that was a significant experience, right? I've heard God speak to me directly in ways that I never saw coming, with words so profound that I couldn't possibly have come up with them myself, and those are positive Christian experiences. I've experienced the joy of leading others to Christ, and that is real deep joy. You get the idea. These are all what you would call formative experiences, for those of you who have just come out of ministry formation. But if you, were, if you were to ask me, any of you, what is the most formative experience you've ever had as a Christian, my mind goes immediately to, to one thing. Something that changed my life and my character forever. There was a time in my life when I felt utterly alone. Utterly. I woke up in the middle of the night, I remember, I can still remember this, and it was very dark, metaphorically and literally. And I almost felt like I could reach out and touch 
the presence of God in the room that I was in. And God's comfort to me at that time was more tangible than I've ever experienced it before or since. It changed me. That experience changed me. I'd been betrayed by some close friends. My family wasn't supportive. My church wasn't supportive. I was feeling completely isolated at that time. And I had nowhere to turn. And it was the darkest moment in my life. And yet, it is the deepest and most profound experience I've ever had as a Christian that shaped me. I would even go so far as to say that I, I used to say I believe that God exists, and I don't really say that anymore. I say I know God exists because of that personal experience. The testing of your faith produces endurance. It makes you more purposeful, more loyal, more firm in your faith. So God's answer to our prayers, to go back to where we started, it's sometimes individual prayers, sometimes individualistic prayers. But the answers are not always yes, yes, yes. But you do, you do need to know that God is always for you. His attitude towards you is yes, yes, yes. In 2 Corinthians, for example, we read that the Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh, right? You're familiar with that, I'm sure. And he prayed for God to take it away. Fair enough. Once, twice, three times he prayed that God would take away this thorn in his flesh. And what did God say? No. Because God wanted Paul to learn that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Trust me, says God, and learn wisdom. Even Jesus, even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed that there would be another way forward. And what did God say? No. There is no other way forward. The cross is the only way forward. And Jesus prayed some words that I, I know I need to put into my prayer repertoire more regularly, and maybe you do too. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Trust me and learn wisdom. So my friends, trials are transformative. And this is why we can... We can maintain a positive attitude about what God is doing in us, even while we're being stretched. So this morning in closing, I just want to ask that anyone in the room who might be feeling that they are being stretched, they're facing a trial of any kind, you don't have to share it, you don't have to say a word, but I would just ask you to stand where you are, and people around you will just reach out a hand towards you in solidarity, and we're going to pray. Okay? So anyone who is facing any kind of trial or difficulty or feeling stretched at this point. And I don't necessarily just mean because of class, Hebrew and Greek classes this morning. That might be it. But if you're feeling that you are facing something difficult at this point, as a community, we would like to pray for you. So just stand where you are. Give you another 10 seconds. Those of you who are fidgeting, thinking, should I or shouldn't I? Thank you. Those around you, uh, around, could just reach out a hand. It's just a symbolic way of saying that we are with you and we pray for you. Let me just quickly pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for this time that we've had this morning to reflect on your word. Your word is counterintuitive. The gospel is counterintuitive. It turns 
our thinking upside down sometimes. I thank you that the ways that you are at work in our lives are not always clear to us or visible. But I pray for these two guys this morning that you would be at work in their lives. I pray that you would increase their faith, their trust. If they are facing trial, temptation, difficulty, I just ask that you would give them the capacities that they need to push through and that they would be able to look back over their shoulder and see that you have given them wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.